0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World. Today, we have a special guest, Nick Johnson, also known as Nick Janssen. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, All right. Thank you so much for having me. That's wonderful. So um, before we get
0: started, and we're going to talk about your book and many, many interesting uh, topics here. But before we get started, how would you introduce yourself for our audience here? Just briefly.
1: Well, I was born in Sweden and then I studied in Australia. And since then, in 2004, I've been working in various general manager roles in uh, basically in Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam. These days, though, I have changed my life. I left the corporate world and instead I'm running confidential peer groups with business owners and senior executives in Singapore. And I've done that for the last five years.
0: Okay, that's wonderful. So uh, we want to talk about your book. Uh, it's called Executive Loneliness, The Five Pathways to Overcoming Isolation, Stress, Anxiety, and Depression in the Modern Business World. There's a lot of information there. And my first question is, cheek, execs, they're capable of human emotions?
1: Yeah, you know, that's the big question, right? <laughs> and, and I found myself being asked that uh, when I was seeing a therapist a few years ago. Yeah. So that's the million-dollar question, right? Yeah.
0: But it's, it's something, again, that we don't talk about. And uh, I, I'm really glad that, that people like you are shedding light on it based on your personal experiences as well, which makes it makes it so much more relevant. So how would you define executive loneliness? And what are some of the challenges that creep up?
1: Yeah, so basically, Arash, uh, I, myself, if I look back at my career... You know, many times I elbowed my way to the top of the organization. I didn't care so much about my colleagues' well-being. It was more about me getting the promotions, getting the the pay rise, pleasing the boss and getting the work done. And the scary thing is, though, that when I then left the corporate world and for the last years now, when I've been in all these confidential peer group meetings, listening to the challenges that the senior executives had, I realized that I was not alone. This is how many are doing. And what is then happening is that you isolate yourself as you do that, it's a lonely journey to the top. And as they say, it's lonely at the top. So that is what I seen. And that's why I want to dig deeper. And indeed, the first thing I do was to define executive loneliness, you know, but, but it's really that uh, it is lonely at the top. And it is exactly that I'm meaning that you, you just Look so much for yourself. It's so much about the ego that you forget others and that becomes this lonely place. Does it become sometimes
0: paranoid because you have this competition, you have people and you don't want to show any weakness, because that's perceived as 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 not a strong thing. And we know now and there is a lot of research of showing that really, to be vulnerable is, is a sign of strength. But in society, a lot of people don't see it that way. There's still still some sort of idea that you have to be tough, right? You have to be, uh, again, for lack of better words, a man to be able to deal with the situation. Whereas This is not the reality of things.
1: Absolutely, Arash. And especially, you know, when you and I grew up and our generations, perhaps we're all told, you know, boys don't cry and, you know, get over it, you know, and and at least that was... Uh, how it was then, perhaps it changed now, but when we grow up, that, that's what it was. And this is still the generation, perhaps, who are you know the, the general directors, the managing directors for many of the big companies around the world. And those are the people I'm working with. And most of the people I'm working with are now around you know 50 to 60 years old. And those are the people that are suffering a rush. They've gone their whole career, trying to be the one, biting it together, thinking they have the answers. And I was just one of them, you know, until the wheels fell off, until I crashed. and. Until I was basically lying, you know, on my bed and, and, and having written my will and testament and I thought it could be all over. Why? Because I kept it all to myself, all the glory, all the, all the celebrations, but also all the pains and I was just engulfed in this loneliness.
0: Yeah, and as you say, I think loneliness is is the right word. You feel isolated from everyone else. Um, So uh, uh, this is mainly based on your own personal experience. What are you comfortable uh, sharing with us here of how you got on this journey? And then we're going to look at the steps too and what you recommended as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I can talk on my own journey. um, But I can also talk uh, about the book. And part of the book was to interview a lot of senior executives and serving the executives, I can share all these findings with you and the listeners. And it's quite some remarkable findings in there. So yeah, you can ask me any questions you like. Because what I am today, I believe I dare to be vulnerable. I'm completely changed. As you said, Arash, I realized that vulnerability can be a strength. And not only can be I should say, it is a strength. And and I want to spread a message that to any business leader, or listeners today, you know, if there's something on your mind, don't share it, because also, as I can share, and as we know, that a problem shared is a problem halved. And that is, you know, that can be life saving, as we can also cover today.
0: What was the moment, and we we have that, and those are actually very good moments, the moment where you realize like something is wrong, and I'm going to do something about it, like actually taking steps. And I, I know with my health, when my health was not in good shape, I was obese, I was suffering from various ailments, at one point I said, okay, that's it, no more. You think you've hit bottom, but that's actually a good thing because then you pick yourself up and start walking. What would be your moment? What would you
1: share with us here? Uh, Yeah, so it was uh, basically a slow fall from about 2015 to 2018. So 2015, I was at the peak of my career. I received big bonuses, promotions. I was basically managing... Uh, medical service companies with 72 hospitals and clinics in indonesia Uh, but i took a look then at myself you know i was also performing really well in sport everything was going well but then i look internally in my family and i realized that the relationship with my wife was not good so i thought well i should change wife i can do better than this so it started by me basically uh, you know divorcing my wife with that my son moved with her uh, and it, it it was no fighting about it it was uh, all smooth but it was again i isolated myself even further by this move and i was a downward spiral where after a few years i became lonelier at work and lonelier at home and uh, i needed to find something in my life and what i found was that going to the bar after work and drinking alcohol was good uh, until that my until i also became uh, uh heavily overweight uh, i gained about 60 pounds uh, uh, by exchanging sports for alcohol. And um, what I didn't realize was that, you know, starting with uh, two or three drinks after work, it could easily turn to a few years later five or six. And then the weekend were big, uh, big, uh, big benches. And uh, when I came back into the work, you know, on Mondays, and I jumped from company to company at this time I was lost Uh, then you know I quickly went down and it was in 2018 then indeed I hit my rock bottom and I but it was not by choice basically by this time alcohol had broken down my body so much that I I couldn't exercise anymore And, uh, and my heart was rushing I had, you know, hypertension and, and even my left foot was uh, swollen like an elephant foot. Uh, it was that big and I found out later on from a psychologist that it was a psychosomatic illness because I had done MR, MRIs, I had done blood tests, I had done everything that possibly could and even x-rays and no one could find anything wrong with it, no one could understand what it was. Uh, but it was just that much anxiety and stress I had inside me and, and, and I just thought that I had to clean up my act because I thought I was going to die. And and that is when I, I, you know, my turn came there, Rush, and the, it came. The saver was that I, in the, in the end, couldn't just hold the pain anymore. I decided to tell one person, and from that moment it all switched.
0: Yeah, that is that is very important of, of being able to to open up and 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 talk about that uh, to others and 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 to reach out, as you say. So uh, you have uh, five steps, the five pathways. Um, step one is really that kind of realization where you say, okay, something's wrong, and let's be honest. And, he, and that's vulnerability and honesty, and like completely honest, not trying to like change things or make ourselves look good, but just like straight up the facts things are not looking good is that the first step
1: yes it is and just like a shop owner takes stock if it's once a month once a quarter once a year you look over your inventory right how often do we do that as human beings and in this instance it was about you know get a pen and paper out or a spreadsheet whatever you prefer and just write down everything if you're overweight you cannot exercise And this time I had to write down and I I mean, the stigma around this is huge, right? I wrote down addicted to alcohol and that, you know, just the fact that I wrote that down, that just meant that I admitted it to myself. And that is the first step here. And I also had some relationships broken. Then with my ex-wife, I had, you know, I left some of my companies in not the best shape. So I had a lot of resentments. All of this had to go on that sheet as well and be written down.
0: And often we're an autopilot and we don't see things and we're blind and we ignore things. There's certain parts like, Oh no, I don't want to go there. And just for, for myself, there was this like kind of fear, anxiety that was in me. I was like, no, I don't want to think about that. I want to do something else. We distract ourselves. We go towards like entertainment or even exercise as an escape sometimes. And we don't realize how, uh, what how things are, what, uh, what is going on. So I think really important to be, almost brutally honest with ourselves, but as a way of like inquiry into it. So then once you've done that, what is the next step?
1: it was taking that list and thinking you know go line by line again and think okay i have this problem who can i talk to this about and for example then uh, the alcohol issue i had to look up you know an anonymous uh, association who could help people with alcohol problem Uh, the the overweight i had to go and see a doctor i was depressed i needed medication for that doctor and then you know all of those things, it had to be written down who I could get help with. And because I had opened up to one person here and she actually became my wife at this stage, my new wife and, uh, and so we, she, she was by my side as we were going over this list and she helped me with a lot of it. She said, I know someone who can help you with this, that, and we just went over this whole list. And as I did that, you know, I started to get so much hope actually. And suddenly I was back alive.
0: Yeah, and we, we feel we have more control than we give give ourselves credit for. And what I like about the serenity prayer is wonderful. It's like, you know, knowing the difference between what we can control and what we, what we cannot. And then focusing on that, that we can. And this build, a, it's kind of a snowball effect of like building more and more confidence as we're taking that path.
1: Yes, absolutely. I agree. So that was indeed uh, asking for help. And then Arash, the, the third thing then was getting healthy because I realized that, you know there was nothing that was more important at this stage than getting my body function again both physically and mentally and it's very interlinked as we know so it was really getting on a path you know to sort myself out And i i had to get some nutritionist advice i i got some wearable devices mm-hmm. and i i got a coach basically an overall fitness coach who helped me set up some small steps by you know start walking a couple of miles a day and measuring it feeling the achievement and then we stretch it longer and longer uh, all the way until i could be back into running a half marathon uh, and stuff like that so we just put up some goals and this coach was there to really help me and it took me three months to taper off all the medication the doctors gave me uh, for my depression and anxiety and after three months i, I was basically uh, surviving on Uh, exercise, healthy food, uh, being surrounded by all these support groups and the people uh, who were also in recovery. Uh, So I was in a very good space, perhaps already after three, four months, the best space I had already been in my whole life. So I was really getting healthy in in three months from thinking it's over to being fully alive. It's amazing, isn't it?
0: That is amazing. That is actually very fast. And uh, so once once you were in that spot, what is the fourth step then?
1: was cleaning up all the baggage of the relationships that were broken, and and Narasha, as you know, in recovery this is an important step. And but how many people who perhaps have not had the gift of desperation to get this journey of clearing up the relationships uh, because not everyone had the same problem I had to. I say I was fortunate to have the alcohol addiction because that actually put me on this beautiful recovery path. But for those people who are blessed to not have any addiction problems, they might never come across this otherwise. So that's why I share that with everyone. So if you felt isolated, if you felt lonely and you've fallen into depression, if you ask people, how are all your relationships? What about with your colleagues, your friends, your family, they would you will uncover that there's things there that they go to bed with. And that is very painful for them. So in in, in my book, therefore, I include it as the fourth step to really go back and clean up your baggage, make amends, apologize to the people you can uh, in the past, And then moving forward, uh, as you would know, also Raj, we do this on a day to day basis, if we said something we didn't mean to before we go to bed, we try to make it right and sending our apology and then the next morning calling them and have a good conversation with them and and make sure that we move forward and we don't have any resentments.
0: I think one of the, the really first things, though, is forgiving yourself of accepting yourself, forgiving yourself, you know, I, what I did was happened for whatever reason, and just being able to, once you do that, then you are really capable of forgiving others. And it's, it's, it comes from a very authentic place. I think that's also with love. You know, once you are like, okay, what well, I do love myself and now I can love others. But a lot of us are not in that stage when we go into relationships. We go into probably relationships for the wrong reasons. You're like, okay, I don't want to be lonely. I just want to be with someone. So I think that that is really important of, of knowing where you're coming from. And then what you're building, and I love what you're saying, it's like kind of rectifying things. Okay, what I said was wrong, what I did was wrong. This was completely off track and so on and be okay with that and and expecting the other person to forgive you but even if they don't it's really your intention that counts here
1: yes it's keeping our side of the of the streets clean and it, it might sound selfish but that's what we need to do. We need to sleep at night. We can and again back to serenity pray we cannot control how other people are it's about controlling our own emotions here. Yeah yeah
0: and and I think what it also comes down to is being authentic being authentic to our desires, ourselves, and so on. I think that's hugely important, too. So let's talk a bit about stigmas that exist. And um, um, what are some of the things that we need to uh, fight against and come up against the stigmas that surround us, again, whether it's about mental health or executives or uh, prejudices and so on? What would you say? uh, what, What do we have to watch out for?
1: Well, I think everything we discussed almost today uh, has a huge stigma in the society, and we have a long time to go. And that's why I'm so pleased that you're having this conversation with me today, because that's what I want to break. And I I, I can only say that while I was on this beautiful path of recovery in 2018, and what I shared with you today, I was feeling great. But this was in a close little circle. It was with my new wife in my recovery group. But I was terrified of someone finding out on the outside world what was going on. I still kept it secret. I've ever no one really understood that I was really suffering before. They thought I was out going out having a great time. And, you know, I call it in my book a smiling depression. And that's a good summary for me and probably most people because we are so good at covering up for this. But then what happened Arash, when I was one year into recovery, sadly, a friend and colleague of mine died of suicide. And that's the moment where I decided to do something. I said, we need to break the stigma here. I made a video uh, of me when I just set up a charity campaign uh, called uh, Race to the End of Executive Loneliness. I became a fundraiser and, 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 and and a volunteer for a local organization here, a suicide prevention agency. And then that video clip uh, went viral on LinkedIn, it went all over the world. So within 24 hours, I was completely surrounded by people because that was the first time I declared to myself my story. And I did it to break the stigma. And I was on live radio the next day, and then came out the four pages feature with my whole story exposed in the business press. So there was no turning back Yeah. Mm-hmm. After that, I'm an open book Yeah. And,
0: and that's wonderful, because you have no secrets. And once you you realize you I have no secrets, you are invincible because uh, nobody can find out. You say, I wrote a book about it. I talked about it openly, I think. And and we we don't see that that way often. I think that's kind of the, the stigma that or the self-censorship that we have of like, no, let's not talk about this. Let's talk about that. Or let's change this a bit. And I think good for you of being fully authentic and say, OK, well, this is what happened to me. I'm going to freely and openly talk about it. And now you have nothing against me because i have nothing to hide and uh, that is a liberating feeling to have nothing to hide
1: yes it is and i remember when i wrote my first chapter of the book uh, i kept rewriting it asking myself am i completely honest here mm-hmm. uh, and then i kept asking my new coming wife who was uh, by my side when i hit my rock bottom and stuff and I asked her to challenge me is this exactly and she kept pushing me said no, no, no Nick, you were really on your knees. And that day you you tried to stop the alcohol, but you couldn't. And you were screaming um, of pain and things. So I, she managed to help me to really express exactly the feeling and some people who read my first chapter of the book, it uh, can really I understand how you know addiction can really hold you in a grip but that was the point i wanted to you know really get the truth out there and as you say th- there's nothing that anyone can have now on me because it's all there and and that is finding your purpose would
0: you say that that is for you your driving force here
1: more important yeah, so than
0: it... than money or prestige or career it's something like that's much more important right
1: Yeah, so the fifth and my last chapter of the book is indeed finding your purpose, because what I realized in my case, that I was too much of egoism, it was too much about me. And I also found through my surveys and interviews for the book, that this was very common for senior executives, that they were too much up themselves, and that had to be changed. I didn't necessarily get that in the first year of my recovery yet I understood uh, uh, that that was the path but it had not clicked in it clicked in the day when I made that video and I decided to tell the world what had happened and I decided to start this mission to break the stigma surrounding uh, discussing mental health and that is now my purpose that's why I'm with you today and that's why after this I will go and support at the support meeting here with others who are are now in, in the first days of their recovery I'm trying to give back every day to help others and that's my purpose now to be there for them
0: and let's talk about EGN you're the co-founder of EGN executives global network
1: yes so Arash uh... Uh, and, and this is um, an organization then who is not necessarily helping people with mental health, but hopefully preventing it, because what we are doing is that we are arranging confidential peer groups, even for executives or business owners, and you are then in a group at your seniority level. What we do then is make sure that there's around 30 to 40 in each group, everyone signing a non-disclosure agreement, there's no competitors, and then the is there to help. Make sure that it's uh, everything is properly organized and you then come into these meetings and it's acting almost like your own advisory board. This should be your safe space where you can discuss the issues you have, the challenges you have. And most of the time it's about people, it's about employees, conflicts, issues they have with a boss, managing upwards, managing the teams and organization structures, merger acquisition challenges. So all these issues, you know, uh, that otherwise they might lie sleepless at home uh, uh, or not knowing how to solve is what then is facilitated and discussed in the sessions.
0: Yeah, and and one thing that uh, I'm I'm, I'm like struggling with to understand in many cases is when we get uh, very successful people who are very ambitious and they are, let's say, super wealthy in many cases, right? It um, seems to be that this ambition is like it's a lack of something that they're like constantly driving forward, but they never stop. They never relaxed. It's like never enough. And that is not a good kind of ambition, although I would recommend people to be ambitious, but find out what is the reason for it. And if you have more a, a balanced perspective, you would enjoy your time. You would enjoy the money. You would share it with others. You will help your employees. You will give back. But it seems, and you said this quite well, it's like people kind of isolate themselves, but they're also very egocentric and saying, this is just about me and I want more and more and more. Whereas if we change that mindset, we could not only be, uh, everyone would be happier, but so would the person themselves, the executives themselves. Do you find that there's a block there sometimes? It's like we try too much and we don't really connect with the world basically.
1: Absolutely. Ash. I call most of the executives, uh, in the book, I call it anxious overachievers, achievers. Mm, and I like looking that. at Yeah, I like that. And looking yeah. at myself. And, and again, you know, it's very rare you get someone to admit that but that's what I saw and that's what I saw in myself Arash. when I studied in high school when I was younger I, I couldn't even finish high school with uh, it, uh, all the subjects and the grades I had to come back as an adult as a 20 year old to finish my high school grades uh, I did that and I managed to pass then all the subjects uh, 21 years old Uh, And I realized maybe I have a second chance here. And again, it was not by choice. It was forced to me. I worked as a construction worker, I had a motorcycle accident. And with that, my career working with my body was over. And I was told by the doctor, I have to go back to school and get another job. So I did that. But then I thought, you know, Oh, this is good. I can study I can become something I I start to get some hope from this. So I went into university. And that was my second chance in life. I was quite insecure about myself. uh, But I realized, you know, I got the taste for winning. I managed to top most of my classes at university, I managed to get scholarship, and getting all these recognitions just pampered me and blew me my ego up bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what I brought with me in the workplace, you know, here's this little insecure person who didn't even finish high school, who's now in university getting all these grades, all this recognition, having, you know, a champagne with a vice chancellor and photos taken when he's getting the award, flying your parents over from Sweden to Australia to be there for the. Summer ceremony, uh, you know, so everything I was lacking as a child in going in high school, I got here at university, and I wanted more of this, it becomes addicted, I became addicted to it. And I brought this into the workplace. So that's how I was leading. And I wanted to keep going, uh, being uh, that recognized sort of hero leader, if you say.
0: I love that you use the word addicted to it because we addiction is not just about drugs and alcohol and then shopping it's 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 really like goes much more deeper than that and we can be addicted to fame we could be addicted to money and a lot of people are and uh, we see a, a lot of comedians are actually suffering from from unhappiness from loneliness and that's why they turn to comedy so it seems that the the underlying motive is really important and uh, one of the things that I encourage people is like, look at it. Why is it you want this? Why is it you want to have a lot of money or fame and so on? What's the driving force? And is it really what you want? Or is it just like covering up something?
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, I, I'm quite happy living a simple a simple life, Arash. Yeah. It's not That's not the driver, you know. Yeah. I don't have on my bucket list to buy a big house because I find it just a a lot of work and a lot of he- headaches that comes with it. I don't have on my bucket list an expensive sports car. I want to live a pretty simple life. So that's not my driver, or wasn't my driver, uh, to getting the career. So what was it? Well, it was obviously how I feel and getting that sort of recognition and feeling good about myself. But was it real? Not really.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what are the symptoms we should watch out for? I mean, you mentioned various things here, but for for our listeners here and viewers, uh, when should they kind of hear like the alarm bell going on and saying like, okay, wait, there might be something wrong because we go, uh, most of our life is on autopilot, but what, uh, what are some symptoms to watch out for?
1: Well, I think you know if we start to isolate ourselves and we wake up at night not feeling good about things, that's probably some alarm bell for ourselves. So, you know, if we can, sleep is a good indicator if things are good, right? Uh, then if we gain weight like you and I did, uh, put on fat, then that's an alarm bell. Perhaps also if someone losing a lot of fat. But if we want to look out for our friends family or partners you know if we see that someone who loves to do something suddenly stops so in my case i was doing frequently exercise suddenly i stopped it then i changed that to going to the bar and drink alcohol instead that's obviously a pattern that i've changed uh, if uh, for example a mother is losing the interest in, in parenting a young baby or child then you know that maybe something is wrong if you ever had a pattern as a or maybe the habit in a relationship that every Wednesday night for many years, you cook pasta together, suddenly your partner doesn't want to do that, and just isolate themselves. Those all alarm bells when we need to, you know, uh, try to break this pattern and ideally have a have a talk with perhaps a coach a mentor, some counselor or calling one of all these beautiful hotlines or anonymous organizations, which are packed with volunteers like myself uh, and many others who are there to help and the good thing is
0: uh, we are changing our perspective on these things and i think one of the reasons is also the pandemic because we're forced to be on our own and trying to survive and it's just like people are more open to talk about it even if it's on social media of like being open to like okay Things are not fine. I'm not feeling well. And and just for, for uh, our audience here, if I stop podcasting at any point for a long period of time, be worried because uh, that is something I love doing. And I think that's really important too. It's like, what is it you really enjoy? Not going to the job because you want to get money, but do you really enjoy what you're doing? And if you could get a job that pays you less and makes you happier, go for it. That, that's my tip, You know, my career advice, if you like.
1: Yes, no, I completely agree with you, we need to do what uh, what make us happy. uh, And and we need to look for that and ask ourselves. But sometimes it's not so easy to do that ourselves. So it's good to have this conversation. Yeah. And I mentioned it again, perhaps a coach, a mentor, a sponsor, or someone. And, you know, we are just so scared to ask for help. And I write about this in my book as well, that we need to practice this, we are surrounded by people who love us, who will love to help us. And all we have to do is ask. And often,
0: I mean, when you open up, others will respond. We assume they wouldn't, but they do. And as you're saying, if you're an executive and say, look, I'm lonely to another executive, they're like, guess what? I feel the same way. And there's like this immediate bond that you would share, but you will miss out if you don't do it. And they will miss out too. So it's like that first step becomes so important. in in anything whether it's also dating if you don't go up and talk to the person you don't know how they feel about you right but in a way that connection i think puts us more together and uh, helps you help each other both ways i think
1: yes and it's the fear of rejection here right we are so scared that they will reject us Uh, and we need to just practice that and not take it personal and formulate it in a way that eh, that we don't get hurt from it
0: Yeah, wonderful discussion. Uh, Thank you so much for all the work you're doing, Nick Johnson. Uh, You're an author, executive mental health advocate, leadership keynote speaker, and uh, you do know a lot about leadership, what makes true leadership, not what some people perceive. And again, your book is Executive Loneliness, the five pathways to overcoming isolation, stress, anxiety, and depression in the modern business world. Thank you so much for being on Arash's World, Nick Johnson.
1: Thank you so much.
0: It's a pleasure.